I want to welcome all of you that are online. Thank you so much for joining us and all of you that are in person. Yay, God, that you're here. Did you know that last Easter, I stood up here and preached and not one person was in this room and I did not like it. But now I look across this worship center and for all those of you who are watching online, this room is packed out and it is totally safe, by the way. Yay, God, for everybody that is here today, we're so grateful. I want to welcome you to the greatest holiday in human history. No, it's not Thanksgiving and it's not Christmas and those are great, but this is Easter Sunday and this is the day that we remember that Jesus Christ rose up out of that grave. And the reason it's so special is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved that everything Jesus said about himself, everything he said about his heavenly father, everything he said about us and everything he said about salvation are absolutely true. On this day, this is the day that death died. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Do you remember the name? Does this name ring a bell for you? Harry Houdini. The great Houdini. Now, for those who are younger, maybe, maybe they wouldn't recognize that name. After all, he's been dead for 95 years. But he was a great magi uh, magician, but he was an even greater escape artist. That's what he's known for, his ability to escape. What he would do is set up situations in which he would surely die. And then at the last minute, he would escape. Take a look at this first picture. This is Houdini, and he is on a boat. All these people are around, but there are people on the shore watching. Notice his hands. He's got handcuffs. Notice his legs. He's got feet cuffs. He's about to be put in this wooden box that is this crate that is right behind him. That crate has all kinds of weights in it so that it would not float. It would sink. As soon as this picture is taken, he is put in that crate and somebody nails down the top of that crate and then they put it into the water and it begins to sink. Now it's not airtight. It's not watertight. It begins immediately to fill up with water. He's only got a matter of seconds before he drowns. But he gets out of the handcuffs, he gets out of the feet cuffs, he gets out of the crate. How? I don't know. All I know is he did. And all those people were watching him rescue himself. Here's another picture. Take a look at this one. He is in a old-timey milk can. And you see, he's all the way down. I don't know how in the world he did that. And all these policemen are around there because their job is to put all these locks you see on the floor and locked down with all these locks, that lid. Now he, once this happens, he only has a few minutes of air before he suffocates. He's got all these people that are watching him and he gets out of the crate. How did he do it? I do not know. All I know is history says he did. He was put in a maximum security prison. He was put in solitary confinement. He had a guard that was watching him, not all the time, but like the guards do, up and down the hallways, he's in the cell. 
to see if he could get out of solitary confinement in that maximum security prison. And the next morning, they found him walking the halls of that prison. He got out. How? I don't know. All I know is that history shows that he did. In October of 1926, he died. But just before he died, he told his wife, and this is a picture of both Houdini and his wife, he told his wife that he, when he dies, he will go to the other side and he will find the way of escape. And he said to his wife, when I get through back from the other side, back to this life, I will join you on the anniversary of my death in this room, in this house. So on the anniversary of his death, she got all ready. The house was spotless. She had her makeup on. She was dressed to the hilt. She had a chair there with his picture nearby, a light on, and she waited. Every single anniversary for 10 years, she waited until the 10th year, and she realized death had Houdini and there was no escape. Death had Jesus. They beat him to the edge of his life. They nailed him to a cross. And after a little while, Jesus said the words, it is finished. And he bowed his head and took his last breath. They brought him down off of that cross. They put him, wrapped him up in white cloth and they put him in the tomb and they rolled this massive stone across the front of that tomb. And then the Roman government put a cord across it with the seal of Caesar that basically was saying, don't you dare touch this stone because if you do, you'll die. And they posted these Roman soldiers all around the tomb because they had heard Jesus claim that on the third day, he would rise again. What's interesting is that none of his followers believed it, but his enemies were scared to death of it. So, on Easter Sunday morning. Two women came to embalm his body. Those two women, his followers, both named Mary. But when they got to the tomb, there the, the stone had been rolled away. The soldiers were nowhere to be seen. And two angels on that stone said to these two ladies, he is not here. He is risen just like he said he would be. That stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but let the world in to see Jesus is back. Death had hold of Jesus, but it could not stay hold of him. And Jesus is back. You and I have gathered online, people from all over the world, people in different places in, in the United States and around Houston, by the thousands we have gathered today, by the thousands on four campuses, we have gathered today for only one reason, to say, yay God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, I'm gonna ask you to do something that sounds a little crazy, but please do it anyway. At your house, maybe it's just you that, that's there in front uh, of the monitor. Maybe your whole family is. 
But wherever you are on all of our campuses in this room, I'm going to ask us to give Jesus Christ a standing ovation for his sacrificial atonement and the resurrection. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for us, for our salvation. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. I'm telling you one day is going to come in which all of us and all the billions of people that have come to know Christ as Savior for all the ages, as we are around the throne of grace, we will give him a standing ovation. And I'll be there, I promise you. I'll be there. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you'll be there too. Now let's go to the text for this morning. I've never taught on this text before. But God brought this to my heart a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, and notice what he says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, too, shared in, this, in their humanity. Stop for a moment. What is he saying? He is saying Jesus took on, God took on flesh and blood. God in flesh, he took on flesh and blood to live as we live, to feel what we feel, to experience what we experience, including death. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Death claimed Jesus, just as it will all of us. Maybe you feel like the guy who, who said, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. There were three guys who had a friend that died and they went to his funeral and, and, and after the funeral they gathered at the coffee shop and they're just talking about their friend and about the funeral they just experienced. But what was said at the funeral, what they would want to have said about them. And one of the men said, well, what I would like people to say at my funeral is that he was a great man and that, and that he cared about other people. And the other two guys nodded. And the second guy said, well, what I want them to say at my funeral is, is that he was a good husband and a good father and that he was an example for other people and how to live. And the other two guys nodded. And then it was silent, and the other two guys said to the third guy, well what, well, what do you want to have said at your funeral? He said, what I want them to say is, look, he's moving again. <laughs> the truth is, all of us are going to experience death. And some of you are thinking, I could have gone all day long without anybody saying that. I've been perfectly fine. And Jesus did too. And when he took in his last breath and said, it is finished, he bowed his head and all of hell had a party. All of hell rejoiced. They were so excited. They stood up and applauded. They were so, they were so glad he's dead. He's dead. And Satan screamed out, I have one, I have conquered God. I have conquered his plan of salvation. I have conquered the son of God. Look at his blood. He's dead. And at the death of Jesus Christ, all of heaven went silent. 
And at the death of Jesus Christ, the Bible says even the sun would not shine. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, it says the earth was covered with darkness. And one of the soldiers said, surely this man must have been the son of God. So what happens? What happened to Jesus for those three days that he was in the tomb? What happened? I hardly ever hear such a question. What do you mean? He was dead. He was right there in the tomb. What are you talking about? Oh, his body was dead. But he was not in that tomb. There are two passages of Scripture that I want you to write down. I wish I'd have told them this in the first service. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. I don't want you to read them until I'm done but with today, but Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. Second of all, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. It'll take me an hour and a half to go through these two passages of Scripture, and I've got a feeling you don't want me to do that. These two passages of Scripture and other verses that are found in the New Testament, what I want to do is just pull them all together. But later you read these passages. And I want to cut to the chase and give you the cliff notes. What happened to Jesus those three days? I'll tell you what happened to him. His body, his spirit came up out of his dead body. And he took his own blood. He took his own blood into heaven. In heaven, there is a tabernacle that was not made by human hands. That's what the passage in Hebrew says. That tabernacle that God led Moses to build in the Old Testament out there in that wilderness was simply a copy of that tabernacle that is in heaven, Hebrews chapter 9. And the Bible says that Jesus took his own blood and he went into that tabernacle and he went through the holy place and he went into the holy of holies where only the high priest could go. He is our high priest. And he took his own blood into the holy of holies in heaven and he sprinkled his bloody blood on the mercy seat there in the holy of holies. And when he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in the holy of holies, the payment had been made. Our sin had been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ in that holy of holies in heaven. What he was doing during that time, he is in that tomb. His body's in that tomb. He is making the official payment for our sin by his own blood. But that's not all he was doing, 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus left heaven and he went to Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. It is a Hebrew word that means the place of the dead. It is both good and bad. There are two compartments in Sheol. There is one compartment called paradise. 
It is where those who have followed God, who've loved God, who've, who've walked with God, it's where those who love the Lord go, a place called paradise. There is a second compartment called hell. Jesus is talking about both of these compartments when he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And even they can look across, or at least Abraham can look across this chasm in between these two compartments and see those who are on the other side. Jesus went into the compartment called paradise. I want you to think of those who were there in paradise when Jesus arrived. There is Abraham. There is Isaac. There is Jacob. There's King David. There is Moses. There is Isaiah. There is Jeremiah. There are all these characters who loved God and followed God in the Old Testament. And there are millions of Jewish saints who followed Christ. They did not know his name, but they were hoping, they were looking forward with faith for the coming of the Messiah. They were obeying the Lord, doing what he had told them to do. And they, by faith, entered in. And they're in paradise, and all of these are there. Why aren't they in heaven? Because the blood had not been shed. In the Old Testament, they shed the bloods of coat of goats and sheep. But on this day, the blood of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, had gone into heaven and had made the payment. In that holy of holies in heaven, he had made the payment. All these other sacrifices were just looking forward to the sacrifice. They were just anticipating in faith this sacrifice. And now Jesus comes, and I want you to imagine the moment that he walks into the room. Here is the Messiah. Here is the one that we trusted God for. Here is the one that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus walked into paradise, and there was a standing ovation, and there was cheering and dancing. Here he is. This is the one we anticipated. And Jesus, the Bible says, took all of them out of paradise and moved it to heaven. Why now? Because the sacrifice has been made and now they come with Jesus into heaven. And when we die, we go straight to heaven. Why? The sacrifice has been made for us. Can you imagine heaven and the cheering of the angels? Can you imagine the receptivity of all of these Jewish saints into the presence of God in heaven? But that isn't all that he did. He came back down into hell. He came back down into hell and they were cheering and they were having a celebration. Jesus is dead. We have, we have beaten God. And all of a sudden there was a presence, I can just imagine. There was a presence in that place. They couldn't make it out exactly, but there were eyes of fire. There was a face that lit up, J John says in Revelation chapter 1, who shone as bright as the sun, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. John gives us the whole description in Revelation chapter 1, and suddenly they realize, oh no, it is Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you better shut down the party, boys. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore.
and they knew they were beaten. They knew it was over. They knew they were destroyed. This is what Colossians chapter two, verse 15 is saying when he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them. It was in this moment, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross had not beaten Jesus. But by the cross, Jesus had destroyed forever Satan and his host. This is what he is talking about, Jesus is talking about in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. This very Jesus Christ, this glorified Jesus Christ. We're going to take a deeper look at next Sunday because next Sunday we begin a new series entitled The Beginning of the End. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ over the next few weeks and we'll be right here next Sunday in Revelation chapter 1 and verse in this passage of Scripture. Listen now to the text. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and frees those all who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the day that death died. Our culture begs us, commands us to believe that all the religions somehow, some way, have a way to God. We've been hearing this now for decades. 25 years ago, I, I heard a famous politician stand and say, I'm a Christian, but I want you to know that I believe that all religions are a way to God. I was stunned by his words. I understand why. I get why the culture wants this. After all, all the religions are seen in this country. They don't want religious wars. They want people to treat each other with kindness and, and, and uh, uh, tenderness. They want us to be, to be respectful toward each other. And I get that. I see that. I understand it. And the truth is, as Christians, we should. We should treat other people of other religions with kindness. How else do we lead someone to Christ? By being mean to them? But this I do know. There is only one way to God. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, how do I know this? How could I say that? Especially when the culture is, in, is telling us what it is we are to believe. I don't care what the culture says. I know this because of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We are to be kind and considerate and respectful to all people no matter who they are. But there's only one way to God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And on what authority could Jesus make such a claim? 
No one comes to the Father but by me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The leaders of all the other religions are dead in their graves. There's only one who is alive forevermore. There's only one that came up from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he proved that everything he had said about himself, everything he had said about God, all that he had said about us, and all that he said about salvation is absolutely true. Now, on the cross, Jesus took the sting of our death. There was a man and his son that were riding out in their car. It was spring out in the country. They wanted to enjoy the fresh air. All the windows came down and they were just enjoying going through uh, that out, uh, out in the country. When suddenly a bumblebee flew into that car. Well, normally it's a, it's a nuisance, but not in this case. The little boy was allergic of a bee sting and could die if he was stung by that bumblebee. He was flailing his arms trying to get the bumblebee away from him, but what he was actually doing is making the bumblebee even more angry. And his father realized there was only one way to rescue this moment, and he pulled the car over to the side, and he reached out and grabbed that bee and kept his fist closed until he felt the sting. And when he felt the sting, he released the bee. Well, the bee began to fly around in the car again. The little boy, scared to death, he began to wave, uh, wave his arms again. And the dad said, oh, no, no, don't do that. He can't hurt you. See, look, look at my hand. See the stinger? He's only got one stinger. And I have the stinger. This is what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was taking the stinger of death. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 50 chapter 15 verses 55 and 57 says this, where o oh, death is your victory? Where o oh, death is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He took the stinger. This is what was happening on Easter. He took the stinger of death. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but is crossed over. But is crossed over from death to life. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Wait a minute, I'm confused. How in the world can you say that all of us one day will die and you say we will never die? Our bodies will die. But the very moment that that happens, we come up out of our body fully us, fully aware, already knowing we're alive. Nothing has changed. We're in a different form. And we go to be with God immediately in heaven. 
Jesus changed the formula. He took the stinger. And if you live and believe in him, you will never die. I've never been to Rome, Paris. Kathy and I have talked about it in years gone by. Maybe one day we will be. But if I ever went to Rome, one of the places that I would want to go is the catacombs in Rome. The catacombs in Rome is the graveyard. <laughs> oh, this pastor of ours. How in, You want to go to the graveyard in Rome? The catacombs are tunnels under the city where they would bury their dead. But during the intense persecution of Christ followers, the Christians would hide out in the catacombs. They lived in the catacombs. Why? Because they already knew those other, the other people wouldn't want to come down there. And they'd be safe there. So a pastor was in Rome. He was going through the tour, went through the catacombs, and he started seeing the, the gravestones and the words that were written out beside where, where the remains of those bodies were. And he started writing them down. They were amazing. This one said, live for the present hour since we're sure of nothing else. Another one, once I was not and now I am not. Another, traveler, curse me if you pass, for I am in darkness and cannot answer. <laughs> you talk about hopelessness. But then as he kept going, he came to other tombstones that said this. Here lies Mary, put to rest in a dream of peace. Lawrence, to my sweetest son, carried away by the angels. Another, he went away in peace. Another, victorious in peace and in Christ. Do you hear the difference? How could you miss it? The death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. From hopelessness to victory. The resurrection is proof that there is a God who is in control. If Jesus can conquer death, he can conquer anything. Without Easter, death casts a shadow of over life. We can rightly ask, what's the point of life? If in a moment we can die... 1 Corinthians 15 is a powerful chapter, and I'm not trying to read the verses in it. I'm trying to sort of capture the idea of it. So it's, on, it's my own words. So you think you want to give up. You're tempted to live a life ruled by eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you may die. Think again. There is an eternal life that follows death. And how do we know? Because Jesus arose from the dead. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Spend time in the chapter. You'll come out a different person. Max Lucado wrote 
among his many books, wrote the book, Six Hours, One Friday. And in the book, there's a story of a guy that was called by God to be a missionary in Brazil. And he went into Brazil to, to go to find individuals, whole communities that never heard the gospel. And he found one community that was so separated from anybody else. He saw as he was sharing the gospel how many of them were so sick and even sick to the point of death. But yet there was a hospital that was not that far away. And he tried to urge them, go to the hospital, but they wouldn't go because in order to go to the hospital, they had to go across a river and all their lives they'd been taught that there are evil monsters living in the river. And they would never dare to go across that river. So he got in his boat and he, he paddled across and said, you can get across the river. But they were unconvinced. And then it dawned on him what he needed to do. He dove into the water and he swam across that river. And when he got to the other side of the river, he stood up and threw his arm up in victory. And suddenly on the other side of the river, he saw all those that were natives throwing their arms up and in victory, sharing what had happened. And they dove into the river and swam to the other side. That's what happened on the cross, Jesus dove into death and he came to the other side and he stands victorious in the resurrection and he says to us, because I'm alive, you can be alive forevermore. Put your hope in me, put your trust in me. I will bring you from death to life. And if you today have not ever done that, this is the day of your salvation. I urge you, those who are watching online, if you've never prayed and received Jesus Christ as your savior, do it today in just a few moments when I pray, when I finish the prayer, go to the Next Step Center that is online and talk to one of our ministers how you could know Jesus too. Just bow your head and close your eyes and pray and invite Jesus Christ in your heart today. And for those of you that are in this service now, in just a few moments when I pray, give your heart to Christ. Receive him as your savior. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for us. And oh God, we receive it. We receive the salvation. Father, I pray you would move in hearts today just in their own heart to turn their heart by faith to Jesus, to stop trusting in their good deeds. It can never be good enough. It can never get them to heaven but to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on that mercy seat in heaven, to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And by faith this morning, be willing to say, oh God, would you forgive me of my sin? And I turn my heart by faith to Jesus Christ and I give you, I trust in you as the only hope of salvation. Father, move in hearts today whatever decisions you're laying on their heart, to make that decision for you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.